You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Those of us old enough to remember the miracle on ice in the 1980 Winter Olympics can probably tell you where we were when the U.S. beat the four-time defending gold medalists and heavily favored Russians in the semifinals in hockey. I was in class in my junior year of college when the word spread. The game was shown on tape delay that night, and the fact that we already knew the outcome didn't diminish the spirits whatsoever. Our guest today can probably tell you where he was as well because he was playing as a defenseman for the United States team. Ken Morrow played collegiately at Bowling Green State University, where he was the CCHA Player of the Year his junior year. After helping the U.S. win the gold medal in Lake Placid, he joined the New York Islanders for the rest of the 1980 season. The Islanders won their first Stanley Cup in 1980 and then won again in 81 and 82 and 83. He spent his entire 10-year career with the Islanders, and he's now the Islanders Director of Pro Scouting. Ken, welcome to Sports Connections. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. First of all, does it seem like it's been more than 40 years since Lake Placid? Well, I think as most people know, time seems to go faster and faster as you get a little older. So, uh, you know, the, the I'd say the first uh, 20 years or so seemed to pass by fairly slowly. Um, we were all busy with our own careers after what happened in 1980. But uh, yeah, certainly these last uh, 10, 15 years have, have flown by for me. Now, a few weeks before the Olympics, you guys got beat pretty badly uh, by the Russians. How confident were you going into the Olympics that you could compete against the Russians? Well, it, really in the whole tournament, but especially against the Russians. Yes, you're right. We did get beat. Uh, we got trounced, actually, uh, in a, our final exhibition game of our pre-Olympic season. Uh, we had played 61 games leading up to to February. And uh, that final game was in Madison Square Garden just a week before mm. uh, the Lake Placid Olympics were starting. So a lot of people at the time thought that Herb Brooks was crazy for scheduling that game. And uh, here we go out on the ice against this, uh, this storied, um, intimidating, you know, Olympic gold medal winning team, uh, the Russian national team. And and they took it to us pretty good. We lost 10 to 3 to that game. Um, but the one thing is that it got us on the ice with these guys. It got all the nerves out um, beforehand. And there was no guarantee that we were going to play them in the Olympics. You know, we had to make the medal round just to get that, that chance. Um, but Herbert prepared us. He, he had prepared us all year long that uh, if and when we did get our chance to play against this team, that, uh, you know, we would have a fighting chance. And, and, and his plan certainly worked. Why, you know, it's, it's really interesting, excuse me, that, you know, you, you got beat by so much. And yet somehow he instilled confidence in he must have been an amazing motivator. He was. Yeah, he, he was uh, one of a kind, truly, just a brilliant, brilliant coach. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of stories written about him and, uh, and the movie and, and everything else that's come out, you know, since then. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was a master motivator. He really was. And he was the guy that orchestrated everything that happened in Lake Placid. Uh, there wasn't anything that he didn't plan for. And it's, it's hard to believe when you talk about it, you know, how big of an upset it was and, and, and everything that went into it. But uh, yeah, he, he left no stone unturned. 
the motivation. Um, I, I'd never played for a coach that, that could motivate like he did. Uh, everybody's probably heard the, the speech that he gave before the Russian game. Um, you know, I still get requests to come in and, and do the speech for other sports teams. So, um, yeah, everything he did uh, worked that year. And um, a lot of it could have gone wrong, uh, but it didn't. Can you give us just, I mean, I don't want the whole thing, but can you give us a maybe a 30-second clip from that speech that you like to share with other teams? Yeah, and I, I, I believe that it, in my memory, it was written on a napkin, I believe, which, which means <laughs> that he had probably written it the night before, uh, you know, at dinner, thinking about uh, what he was going to say. But in essence, it was that you were born to be a player. You were meant to be here. This is your moment. Now let's go out there and take it. And I know the movie kind of uh, uh, elaborates that, on that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that was the essence of, of, of what he had said to us. And here's a, this group of wide-eyed 22-year-old college kids, you know, sitting there um, in the locker room. And so, yeah, just uh, – I think, and, and I think many people think it's the greatest motivational speech ever given. I mean, it's, it's Rockney uh, firing up Notre Dame. It's, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of analogies. I want to talk real, real quickly about how big of an upset it was. And, and for those who may not know, I mean, four-time defending champs and many of those players had played on the previous Olympic team. So it wasn't like, well, every year Russia has a new team and they're also really good. They, these were seasoned veterans. The best analogy I can give is, you know, the, maybe the Showtime Lakers against, uh, you know, the college all-star team. I mean, these, is that a good analogy? Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure everybody can, can come up with their own. Um, but I, I do remember Jim McKay, who was the longtime Olympics host for ABC at the time, he compared it to the Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers, who were the, you know, the dominant team in the NFL back then, beating a bunch of college football players from Canada. So um, <laughs> I don't know if that's an, a good analogy as well. Um, but certainly, yeah, they, you know, this team was the big red machine. You know, that's what they were called. If they lost one game a year, uh, that was a lot. So this team was you know, they, they just destroyed teams that they played against. They were beating NHL all-star teams at the time, as you mentioned, you know, four or five time defending uh, Olympic gold medalists. And, um, and so here you take this, this group of uh, college kids. I, I know that uh, uh, I've seen some of the Russian players interviewed in the years since uh, 1980 and they described us not as a hockey team, but we were a bunch of students, they called us. <laughs> so, you know, how could we lose to a bunch of students? Um, and then, as you mentioned, the the game in Madison Square Garden a week before, it, it really, hearing them uh, interviewed uh, to, a, to a man, the Russian players basically said that that game turned out to be really detrimental to them because, you know, they beat us 10 to 3. Um, they felt like, you know, it just wasn't going to be a challenge when they played us. And yeah. so I know uh, uh, one of our trainers had talked to some of their players back in 1980, right after the game, and and they were uh, totally caught off guard by how well that we, we played in that game. 
It's interesting. Over your shoulder, we see one of many pictures that, that we've seen through the years uh, of the Americans celebrating. To me, one of the most uh, memorable photos is the, the Russian players standing, leaning on their sticks, not angry, not sad, just total disbelief. And that really speaks to what you're saying. They just didn't have any idea how good you guys could be how well you could play in a particular game. You might've played and, and, you know, this is not possible, but the cliche played beyond your ability. You may have, have exceeded what you were capable of doing, but it was just that picture. I'll never forget that picture. And I can't tell you which hockey player it was. There were two or three of them, but it was focused on one, just standing there staring at you guys celebrating, like what just happened? (laughs) I know I, I've seen Al Michaels has described it uh, in a similar fashion uh, at, at the time. You know, he, he, he talked about how they stood there and they, they, they had that look on their face, kind of like, we wish we were them. We wish we were able to celebrate like that. Yeah. You have to remember, this was a team, as I, as I said, they called the Big Red Machine. And for decades, they basically just all they did was win. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the joy of winning was taken out of out of what they did. And so they kind of carried that burden with them as a team. Um, there was there was very little emotion to their game. Um, they just did their thing and, and and went on to the next game. And so when they saw this young group of kids out there jam piling each other after every time we scored, and and uh, you know the emotion that we played with, which which really was a big part of our game. You know we we were going to use that to our advantage, uh, being young and enthusiastic and so um you're right yeah they did have this look of it wasn't you know that they um were hanging their heads they were kind of looking at us like boy we wish we could celebrate like that yeah yeah let's talk about the the atmosphere for those of us who couldn't be there which is basically all but about 8500 people in the whole world how would you describe the atmosphere inside that arena yeah uh, Really incredible. Uh, it, it, as you mentioned, you know, it, it wasn't a, a huge arena. Um, and if for anybody that ever has a chance to go up to Lake Placid and, and tour the arena, tour the town, uh, certainly uh, it, it'll be memorable for you if you're if you're able to do that. But yes, uh, I think seating capacity was 8,500. The very top of the, uh, the arena uh, were, were wooden bleachers, actually. And um, I know uh, Al Michaels has described when he was broadcasting during that game, and especially in the third period after we had taken the lead, he he said that the uh, where they were perched up on the top there, he said it was shaking um, the platform they were on, and um, and he, the way Al describes it is um, that's when sound had feeling. He said, and so I think that's a, a perfect way, you know. And, and then you had the the USA USA chance, which actually that's where they started, uh, was in that arena. And, um, you hear them at all the, all the sporting events now where you have a U.S. team, uh, in any sport playing. Um, so yeah, that, that was the, the origin of the USA USA chant. And I, I was going to mention that I, I swear I could hear the chant of USA USA. I, I was in college in central Michigan at a small division three school named Calvin college. Right. Uh, right. 675 miles. I looked it up on Google Maps, 675 miles to the west. And 
I swear I could hear that chant. How yes. loud? I mean, you, you say I like I like Al Michaels' description. It's sound had feeling to it. Could you yeah. guys hear each other when you were celebrating? Well, you know, as a player, um, you feed off that. Um, and, and, you know, we knew going into the Olympics, you know, that we were going to have to have some special things happen for us. Yeah. You know, we were, I think we were seated fifth out of 12 teams in that tournament. Um, and so a lot of things had to go right for us. But as I mentioned earlier, we were the youngest team in the tournament by far. We had a couple guys that were 18, 19 years old in Mike Ramsey and Neil Broughton. Our average age was 22 years old. And here we're playing all these veteran teams. I would dare say the Russians were probably average age, 30 years old, as yeah. were a lot of those teams. So we knew that we were going to have to use that to our advantage, um, being young, um, being in front of our home crowd. And and we did. We fed off that. And, um, you know, it, it, it certainly played a part in, in what we were able to accomplish. How long did that party go on afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I'll tell you a story. I, I had hurt my shoulder in the second game against Czechoslovakia uh, on the first shift. And, and so um, after the Russian game ended, um, a lot of the celebration was out into the streets of Lake Placid. I didn't know much about that because I stayed behind and, and, and iced my shoulder for about an hour or so. So the, the locker room had cleared out and I literally got in a van out the back door of the arena and we went, instead of going downtown through all the craziness that was happening out on the streets, yeah. uh, we took the back roads to, to, uh, to where we stayed. Um, and so I missed all of that. And, um, I'm finding out all these years later when I look on YouTube and that, you know, here's a lot of our players and, and, and <laughs> all the families and, and the friends and, and, and the, the people up in Lake Placid were all out, you know, dancing in the streets and I missed all of it. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, you talk about the, the fact that, you know, it was, it was the semifinal game. And a lot of people think back on that game, revisionist history, and think, well, that was the game that won the gold medal. Well, obviously, you had to beat the Russians to get to the gold medal, but that was the semifinal. Was it hard to get fired up again two days later to beat Finland for the gold? I don't know if it was hard, but it was a challenge. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and when, you, when you take yourself back to that time, uh, again, a young team pulling off something we never thought could happen, a monumental upset on Friday evening, and then having to come back on Sunday morning and play another game. And there was actually a scenario because of the way they, they did the medal round at that time. They, they, they had brought the tournament down to the final four teams, and you played uh, each of those teams in a round robin, but they carried in points from the um, – from the previous round so that the scenario was that if we didn't win on Sunday morning, um, we could have won a silver medal. We could have won a bronze medal. And there was even a chance that we couldn't, we wouldn't have won any medal at all, even after beating the Russians on Friday evening. So having said that, yeah, uh, Herb Brooks did his greatest coaching job on Saturday morning. Oh yeah. Um, we had a practice Saturday morning and, and I remember coming into the locker room and all of a sudden we were the hit of the town. 
And, um, and so we had all these uh, New York state troopers up, you know, around our team and we had the fans, you know, all over the place and, and people are coming up to me and that was probably the first time I ever signed an autograph in my life. <laughs> and um, so here's all these people, you know, uh, and the attention that we're getting. And I'm sure Herb Brooks took a look at that and said, I got, I got to do something here. So yeah. Herb actually put us through our hardest practice of the tournament that Saturday morning. And the players were looking around going, what's he so mad about? You know, um, <laughs> but um Again, uh, just a brilliant move, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I would dare say a lot of coaches wouldn't have done that, um, knowing that we were playing, you know, Sunday morning. But he felt he had to kind of shock us into, hey, you guys haven't won anything yet. You still got to go out and beat a very good Finland team Sunday morning. And, um, you know, he had given us his uh, – after giving us that great motivational speech – uh, before the Russian game, his speech, you know, against Finland was, you guys lose this game, you're going to take it to your graves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I imagine that practice was more difficult for some of the guys than others, the ones who had maybe stayed out a little too long and had a little <laughs> too much beverage uh, after the game. There probably were some uh, red eyes uh, skating around <laughs> the ice that Saturday morning, weren't there? Well, that's, that's where you, you know, uh, guilt is a great motivating factor. So if you feel a little <laughs> guilty that next day, <laughs> it can work to your advantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, did you, did you guys realize at the time how big that victory was? Not just, obviously you did against the, in hockey, in international hockey, but in American sports in general. No. And, you know, here we are 42 years later and I'm still finding out what it meant to people. And I can tell you if there's one thing uh, that stood out for me over 42 years, it's just the impact it's had on, on, on anybody that, that, that saw it or remembers it. Um, you didn't have to be a hockey fan, you know, to, yeah. uh, and, and I get people that will come up to me with tears in their eyes, you know, 42 years later, tell them, telling me their story um, you know, what it meant to them. Um, and no, we didn't, uh, to answer your question, no, we didn't know the impact it had. We were again, a young group of kids. Um, there was a lot going on in the world politically, but yeah. you know, when you're a 22 year old kid, uh, that's not the first thing on your mind is what's going on in politics. So, um, but it certainly added to what, to what happened. It came at the right time for our country we were, uh, our country was desperate for something to feel good about again, yeah. uh, being an American with everything that was going on in the world. So, um, yeah, the impact I know for me, um, and for, I believe for the rest of our teammates, we didn't know until we, uh, we flew to the white house on Monday morning. Um, and we got off the airplane and, and, um, and bust over to the, uh, the white house and the streets were lined with, 10 deep on both sides with people. And I'll bet every one of them had a sign or a flag that they were, you know, uh, waving. So that's when I know all of us looked at each other and said, wow, you know, it wasn't just the people in Lake Placid are happy. The whole country was happy. Yeah. Because I, you know, back then, certainly today, hockey's at best the, the fourth most popular sport in America. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, in, in Michigan, we had a lot of Canadian students. The only people I remember who were not just going crazy were, was the apartment down the hall from us of Canadian guys who were upset because we had stolen their sport. 
but you know, you guys, I can still rattle off, you know, half a dozen names of the guys on that team. And, and, you know, you guys, you probably had no idea that you would be famous two generations later for something you did as a, as a young kid in hockey. Yeah. 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 And we still talk about it when we do get a chance to get together, you know, we've had all these anniversaries and, and celebrations uh, more so in recent years um, as we're getting a little older, but uh, yeah, we still talk about that. You know, can you still believe that, that, you know, I get mail every day. Um, I go out to the mailbox 42 years later, I'll have a letter or two every day in my mailbox, somebody writing me and it's, it's always accompanied by a letter and they want to tell you their story, their experience with it, what it meant to them. Yeah. And um, you know, what other sporting event, especially, as you mentioned, a hockey, a hockey game, it got, it got voted uh, number one sports moment of the century. Um, and it's still considered the greatest upset in sports history. Yeah. Um, and so when you think of all the other great moments in sports, you know, uh, with baseball, football, boxing, you name it, um, here's this hockey game that uh, yeah. it still is, is considered a number one sports moment. Yeah, I like I said in the introduction, I can remember exactly where I was and I can remember detail we had in our apartment. We had a big watch party, even though we all knew, you know, it was still we recognized that it was important. I don't think even as fans, we recognized uh, how big it was. One last thing on on the miracle on ice uh, before we go on to your pro career. Did the actor who played you in the movie do you justice? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, yeah, if you can say uh, justice is, I, I don't think he had a line in the movie, truthfully. So <laughs> he didn't say a word, which, which I know some of my teammates say, well, that, that was you, you know, I was a pretty quiet guy back then, but uh, I did get a chance to meet him at the uh, red carpet event um, uh, at the movie premiere. And uh, the one thing that Disney did do with this movie is they uh, went out and they got hockey players and turned them into actors Mm. rather than trying to turn actors into hockey players. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, it's it's certainly a, a terrific movie for those that haven't seen it yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did get a chance to talk to him. And, uh, yeah, certainly, um, as I said, uh, you know, it's brought the story to a whole new generation of, sure. of kids who are born in. All right. So after the Olympics, you went to my New York Islanders. I told you before we, we started recording how I became an Islanders fan their first season in 1972. How hard was it to transition from being the hero of America to being a professional athlete? Yeah, well, I I didn't have a whole lot of time to to sit and think about it. Uh, As we talked about, uh, you know, we won the gold medal on on February 24th. It was a Sunday. And uh, by Thursday, I had signed my first NHL contract had my first practice and by Saturday, so six days after we won a gold medal, I was playing in my first NHL game. So a um, lot of lot of things happened in my life in a very short period of time. Um, but in a way, it was a good thing. You know, I didn't have time to, to sit and think about it. Um, I had to turn my attention, you know, toward trying to uh, earn a living, I guess you'd say, right? Yeah. And, uh, and try and uh, earn a job, uh, playing in the NHL. And, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a given at that time. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it turned out to be a really long year. Um, 
you know, I, I look back and I played over well over a hundred games that year, which, uh, even though the seasons are long, that was a, an especially long season, um, for me and, and through a lot of, uh, uh, pressure packed games, you know, with the Olympics and then two months of the Stanley cup playoffs. And uh, so when people ask me what, what I felt like after, you know, that, that overtime goal, Bobby Nystrom's overtime yep. goal, yep. I said it was just a to- total feeling of relief. You know, it wasn't so much joy it was just relief that the, the season was over. <laughs> we didn't have to go play another game the next day. Yeah. Um, and then you're able to enjoy the moment you know, uh, after that. Yeah. It's not, it's not quite as vivid, but I can still remember where I was when, when Nystrom hit the overtime goal in game six, beat the flyers. Is that correct? Yes. Right. Okay. Now mm-hmm. when I was preparing for this, Ken, I was, I was the, the expression, uh, kept coming to mind, have yourself a day. You, you led a really charmed <laughs> life, especially during that three and a half year period, winning a gold medal and four straight Stanley cups. Did it seem like hockey was easy at that point? No, not at all. Not, nothing ever seemed easy. Um, but uh, as you said, a charm life. I, I certainly, um, you know, thank my lucky stars for, um, I, I guess, what the hockey gods, you know, <laughs> gave me because, you know, there are a lot of guys that play this game that never get a chance to compete for a championship, uh, never have an opportunity to do things that, that I did got to do in my career. So, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, it was actually a five-year period for me going from 1980 to through, through the end of the 1984 season. Um, you know, um, my first five years, I played 10 years in the NHL. My first five years, we were in the Stanley Cup finals. So we won four cups in a row, and then we went to a fifth final that that That's right, year. lost to Edmonton. And lost Edmonton, um, team that we had swept the year before. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, it, it, by no means was it easy. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, you get, I, I tell people, I, you know, um, once you have that taste of winning, um, you just don't want to give it up. So yeah. when, when, the, when the end finally did come, it was, it was heartbreaking for me. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I don't follow hockey as close as I used to. Uh, but when I'm watching ESPN and I'll see an, Edmonton Oilers highlight whoever they're playing. I root for the other team. I'm still upset about 1984. So I imagine you are as well. What were the highlights of your last five years of your playing career? Well, you know, you, your career takes, uh, and I didn't have a long career, as I mentioned, 10 years, it was longer than average. Um, but you know, the last five years, you find other challenges that come along, you know, we were still a good team at that time. Uh, but we were starting to lose a lot of the players. We had 16 players uh, on those Islander teams that played on all four Stanley Cup teams. So we had a lot of uh, stability then, you know, a few new faces every year, but not many. Uh, And then it all kind of went away very quickly. Um, You know, all of a sudden, some of these guys that were there are moving on. They're they're later in their careers. And, um, And then the team starts to look a little different. We were still winning at that time. You know, we made the playoffs. I think we made the playoffs in every year I played except the final year. Um, uh, So, and then I was, you know, battling through some injuries like all players do. Um, And so it it turns into more of a, um, as I said, you know, you're just trying to, to, to keep your career going, uh, you know, through some of those years and to find a way to, 
to make it last as long as you can. And, and then, the, as I said, my final year was in 88, 89. And then I'm looking, you know, what's, what's the rest of my life going to look like at that point. Yeah. Now you, you've, stayed active with the Islanders in various, various roles, and you're still active with the team. And you're also busy as president of KC ice, which is, as I understand it, you're building uh, outdoor arenas uh, for ice hockey. How do you keep things balanced? Well, I'm lucky, you know, uh, uh, a great family and, you know, that, that goes without saying. Um, but uh well, yeah, it just, I, I've always uh, enjoyed, um, I, I guess I don't say no very often. So, you know, when, if something comes along, um, first of all, just to have the stability, as you mentioned, I'm still working with the team. You know, here's a guy that's, that's, that's been with the same organization for uh, 40 years now as a player, um, as a coach, as a, a professional scout for the last 30 years. Uh, that just doesn't happen in pro yeah. sports, in any sport. Um, so very, very fortunate uh, and thankful that that has been a big part of my life. That's given me that stability that I I really, uh, you know, uh, I'm big on that. Um, I'm not somebody that likes to pick up and, and move and chase jobs. I've made one move in my hockey career in 40-some years. So um, Having that going for me and then, you know, establishing some roots here in Kansas City. I've lived here for 30 years. Uh, so the only move I made was from New York to Kansas City. And then, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned with Casey Ice, it's been a, a, a small business that that uh, just happened to get started by uh, uh, three or four uh, friends that I had met um, that were passionate about hockey, as passionate as I was. And um, seeing the need for more ice here in Kansas City and trying to grow the sports at a grassroots level. So we've, we've, uh, we've had some fun with that um, and, and continue to, to try and uh, make, make some things happen in the ice rink world here in Kansas City. How often do you use, oh, maybe some game that was played in Lake Placid, New York, <laughs> uh, 42 years ago? How often do you make that a part of the conversation in your business dealings? It, it, it certainly helps. Yeah. You know, let me tell, let me say that it, it helps, you know, if you're trying to, to get in front of somebody and, and, and get somebody else involved in, 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 in what we're doing or uh, uh, yeah. It, it, and, and it never fails that um, if I am sitting there talking to somebody and, and they hear that I played on a team you know, they perk right up. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> um, it helps, but I, I don't, you know, use that as, uh, I try not to talk about it unless somebody else brings it up truthfully. Um, you know, it's not something, as, as people say, you don't want to, you don't want to be living in the past. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it, it's something people still talk about. You, you don't yeah. have to bring it up because I was mentioning to my brother, who's two years older, who's obviously a longtime Islanders fan that, that I was going to interview you. He said, are you going to ask about the miracle on ice? Well, duh, <laughs> of course <laughs> I am. But, you know, you don't have to yeah. mention that because people still know two generations later. You're right. You're right. It, 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 if nothing else uh, that, that we found out 42 years later is that um, people remember it like it happened yesterday. And, and, yeah. I, and I liken it to, um, and it's true. I liken it to when I grew up, the things that I remember, what I was doing and where I was, 
were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. When Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, I remember sitting in front of my black and white TV at home. Yeah. Um, you know, more recently when 9-11 happened. Yeah. And um, and so those are moments that that are etched in 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 people's minds and memories, and you'll never forget. And here's this hockey game that you and I are talking about here. Yeah. And that's that in in you know, <laughs> as crazy as, as it is to think about it, that's the response and reaction from people that come up to me um, is that, hey, I was uh, I was in my basement, you know, I was yeah. eight years old watching it on TV with my dad. My dad was crying, you know, and, <laughs> and I've had people tell me they were on a beach in Hawaii gathered around the bar watching it. People tell me that they were driving down the street when they heard the news, they pulled over jumped out of their cars, hugging other people on the side of the road. Um, the stories are endless. And, oh, yeah. um, and people remember it. As I said, it's it's something that, that they'll never forget. All right, I'll, I'll wrap up. The, I've got a couple of personal questions at the end, but I'll wrap up with this. Every kid who plays sports dreams of being a professional athlete in their chosen sport. You not, not only did that, but you had unmatched success in the process and you were part of the most iconic game in your sports history. Did the result of your childhood dream, did the results match what your dream was? Oh, well, yeah, far exceeded. Um, and, and, and the truth is, I grew up in, in, in Flint, Michigan. And what got me started, my dad was a professional baseball player, believe it or not. Okay. I tried baseball. I was terrible at it. <laughs> and uh, it was boring for me, you know, standing, standing there waiting for somebody to hit, hit a ball to you, whereas hockey is just nonstop action all the time. But my dad got me and my brother started on, an, on a small outdoor rink in, in Flint, Michigan. And I just from the day I put my skates on and went out and skated, I, that's all I wanted to do. And so I, I vividly remember putting my skates on as a young kid in the morning, going out and skating and coming in for lunch, uh, leaving my skates on when I'd come in and have lunch <laughs> and going back out and playing with all the neighborhood kids, whatever, and, and not taking your skates off until you went to bed at night. So, um, you know, those were my childhood dreams. And, and I never envisioned or even talked about, you know, playing college hockey, playing uh, for an Olympic team, playing in the NHL, the, the, that wasn't something truthfully that just, you know, was in the realm of, of anything you thought about. It was just going out and having fun. And, uh, and so when it, when all the other stuff happened, um, you know, it was just, uh, again, it just, it, I think my feeling is just, just, uh, grateful, grateful that, that everything that came along, uh, my way, um, uh, that, that, I, that got to be a part of my life. Well, you, you may have been out there just having fun, but I guarantee you, my friend, you provided a lot of fun for a lot of people in my generation and, and older. Well, I like to wrap up with two things. First of all, talk about your family. Yes, uh, three children. Uh, two of them were born out in Long Island uh, when I was with the Islanders, my two daughters, uh, Kristen and Brittany. And then a son that came along here in Kansas City, Evan. He's 24 years old. So we have the three of them and then I have uh, six grandkids. And um, the great thing for us is that, um, you know, not only are we, um, you know, uh, 
we're permanent residents, I guess you'd say, of, of Kansas City for 30 years. But uh, um, all of our kids uh, right now live within about 10 minutes of our house. So wow. we get to see our kids, our grandkids pretty much every day. And uh, I, I know you had talked about uh, the, your grandkids. And, and so um, in today's world, when people are spread out all over the place, yeah. Um, you know, it couldn't, it couldn't be any better for us. So I uh, love living here in Kansas City. It's been a great place to call home. Uh, still working for the Islanders. So, um, you know, life is good for me. And I'd like to wrap up with this. And I've gotten all different kinds of answers. I've got people talking about personal side. I've got people talking about, uh, you know, either their playing or professional career or whatever. So I don't, I don't, put any parameters on the question so you can answer it however you want. What is your legacy? Wow. Uh, you know, that that's the first time I've ever been asked that. And really? so, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's as much, um, obviously the hockey part is, is always going to be there. You know, what, what happened in those 10 years, I guess you could say from 1980 to 1990, my, my playing career that, gets talked about the most, but I think it was, uh, everything that led up to that, as, as I just talked about, you know, my, my childhood, um, uh, with my brother, my father, uh, coming from a, um, you know, not a traditional background of somebody getting to the NHL. Um, and then trying to give back maybe, uh, would be the last part of that would, would be, uh, trying to let other people discover the joy of, of being involved in the sport um, and just trying to be a, um, trying to be a good person. I, you know, I, I, it may sound kind of corny, but um, trying to do the right thing and, um, and, and, and meet people. I, I, you know, it doesn't have to be hockey people. Sometimes we get caught up in our own world, you know, little world, um, of like-minded people. And, and so, uh, I certainly have that in the hockey end of things, but I, I've, you know, I've opened, uh, you know, my horizons, I guess you'd say, and, yeah. and, and know a lot of businessmen, know a lot of people that do other things. And that fascinates me a lot is just finding out about other people and their lives, not just, um, not just hockey people. All right. Well, Ken, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. I, I have, it brought back uh, some very fond memories from my youth, and uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thanks. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, David. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.